reports direct from Melbourne courtside and from our offices in New York City. It's the Australian Open edition of the Tennis.com podcast. And here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello and welcome to the Australian Open podcast, day one. I'm Ed McGrogan here in the U.S. I'm talking with Steve Tigner, who's down in Melbourne. Steve, hello, and uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll do this each day at the Australian Open. All right, and, that sounds uh, good. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, of course. Um, Steve just went, just uh, got back from the first day's play at Melbourne Park. Um, improved weather, from what I could tell from the previous uh, couple days, and in general, it it does seem to does seem that that happy slam term that gets thrown around for the Australian Open. Um, it, it really does seem to be that way. I think for the most most of the players, um, except for maybe Rafael Nadal, if you want to go into that a little, he's really been the center of of discussion for really off court reasons uh, this past day and a half or so. Yeah, Rafael Nadal. Also, Fernando Verdasco didn't enjoy it. He said that yeah, he him either. He wasn't used to the heat. It'd been cool for so long. He, he and he got sick today, and actually, Tomic didn't look too good either. So I think a lot of the players had had some trouble adjusting as it was completely different weather. It'd been, it was 20 degrees hotter and there hadn't been any sun for the past five days. And then suddenly it was, and people around here were saying this is really the first day of their real summer. Um, but as far as, as Rafa goes, yeah, we, um, we just heard his second press conference, his first press conference. He, as probably everyone listening to this knows, he um, made some, negative comments about Roger Federer and his leadership of the tour. Today, Rafa said that he shouldn't have said that in public and that he's not going to say anything more about it, that he had talked to – he actually met up with Roger by accident after he'd spoken in that press conference. He didn't mention anything to to Federer about what he said. Um, probably the more interesting thing was Federer's press conference. He said he didn't have any problem with with Rafa, um, what he'd done. He, he the main thing is Federer just wishes that nobody would go to the media with with any issues. That's sort of the difference between the two. One of the differences between the two of them, Nadal is willing to. He can be easily drawn out in a press conference to talk about it, pretty much anything, anything to do with the ATP. Um, but Federer said today that he didn't really, you know, he he thought he wants to do good by do well by the whole tour and he I think the basic difference is that Nadal thinks that the majority of the tour agrees with him uh, and his concerns and wants to make the changes he wants to make about the schedule about try to make changes about Davis Cup uh, about prize money at Grand Slams Federer I don't think Federer believes that the majority of the people on the tour do agree with Nadal because their their interests are different um but Federer just is unwilling to say much more than that about the actual uh, about the actual issues. But he did give a pretty classy press conference and sounded, you know, sort of smoothed everything over and made it seem like, well, this is just a disagreement between friends. Is that more of a language issue, you think, than anything, or is it really just um, a combination? Because obviously, Federer is. is has a better grasp on this. On I, really, I'm sure these questions were pointed in English. Although a lot of the stuff that came from Nadal was um, taken off of the Spanish transcripts too. So, um, but I, but I think it could be also just you know the general 
the general way these two want to handle, like you said, I think Nadal has obviously been a lot more outspoken for, for quite a while now, especially in recent months. And, you know, Federer does have a way of kind of, when you're at his press conferences, he, he, he does have that air of, he's seen it all. He knows what he's going to get from the, you know, from the reporters there. So is that any, any, how this all transpired basically? I think it's just there are different personalities. Um, Nadal can get agitated. He, they, he people, press, uh, people in the press started talking about um, the players' meeting and about his leadership or lack of leadership at the meeting. So he sort of defended that, and then the questions kept coming. So he's, he got more into it. Then they went from the English press to the Spanish press, and you could almost see as the English press was leaving, as we were leaving, um, that he got more animated immediately with the Spanish press. And that's when he started talking about Federer, you know, personal stuff about Federer. Uh, so I think it's a, you know, a matter of a person, personality. Nadal can get drawn out and, and agitated by questions, whereas Federer will, will always sort of be the master of the, the situation. Right. Um, Verdasco, the, the other unhappy soul you mentioned there, he was the part of the match of the day, uh, which was, him against Bernard Tomic, the Australia's top male player. Uh, that was a day match, uh, second on, uh, went five sets. Tomic loses the first two. He should have won the second set. He had a clear, um, he had a three set points, the last one, the easiest of all of them, and kind of dumped a, about a, 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 a really close forehand into the net. Ends up losing that, but takes the last three sets um, in really totally unexpected fashion, I think, from... From my sort of pers- my perspective here, it just really looked like after that set, the kind of any win that was left uh, was just kind of going to slowly whimper away. But really, just as soon as he got that third set off of Verdasco, you could kind of see Verdasco go into that uh, you, you know sort of thing that that's really held him back a lot, just being unable to really finish off. Um, a lot of the big matches he's played. So you were at that one. Um, what's your take on how that all shook out? Well, yeah, if you if you thought Tomic was going to go away in the third set and look like he was going away, then you were tricked, just just like Verdasco apparently was. Tomic said he did that intentionally. He he thought that he could he could get Verdasco to relax uh, as the third set went on. If he looked like if he made it look like he was um, he was giving up, and Tomic thinks that that worked, and then he. He sprung a trap on him at four all and broke him. Uh, Verdasco didn't wasn't having any of that. He said he didn't notice anything like that, and Tomic was just making it up afterwards. And Verdasco said he was physically sick. That's why he lost uh, the third set. But um, but it just shows that Tomic, if he really did that, you know, he's he's a thinking player. It's kind of a, something you expect out of a junior player, but but he is only nineteen. Um, but he's a guy who will mess with another guy's mind. Uh, try to get in the other guy's head, but it was an amazing turnaround. I think he really was ill, or he really was feeling bad at the beginning of the match. He said that afterwards, and um, I don't, you know, it it looked like his fitness was bad. Um, he really just didn't have it. Verdasco had, you know, hit a heavier ball, but if you can hang around with Verdasco, I think everybody knows that you have a chance, and that's probably that's also what um, what kept Tomich alive, even after he lost that second set and. You know, it seemed like there was no way back. 
most of the other show court matches today went to form. Um, pretty much all of them, really, except for that one. Um, just to recap, Azarenka wins without with just one game loss. Kleisters, Federer, Wozniacki, uh, Nadal all win in straights. Lee Na, um, Del Potro wins in four. Um, in here in the U.S., there's quite a few matches that didn't get a lot of didn't get almost any TV cards or were kind of some interesting off-court matches. I was kind of wondering what you may have saw around the grounds that uh, wasn't the the primary focus. A couple that come to mind are uh, Dolgopolov and Donald Young get taken to five sets. Both of them, um, one down down wins the first two, wins in five. Dolgopolov loses the first two, wins in five. Any sort of um, off-the-radar matches you saw today or caught a few games of, of interest? Uh, one good match. Um, sort of a specialist match. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov played Jeremy Shardy, two pretty um, stylish European guys. Dimitrov we've been talking about for a long time as a, as a possible next really good player. Uh, they went down to the wire, 6-4 um, in the fifth. Dimitrov pulled that out. Uh, they got a little testy with each other in the fifth set as well, but there was a lot of hard hitting. That was a good side court match um, on a really small court that was pretty... That was pretty full. Um, there was also Thomas Burdich and his and the Burdich Army, a group of Australians who who love Thomas Burdich, uh, know nothing about the Czech Republic, have no connection to him, but they were out in force again. Um, and there was also a five, an, another a good match. I'm not sure if it ended up going five, but a good match between Cole Schreiber and Juan Monaco. That was also pretty solid. Side court match that was that was well attended. Um, yep, Monaco most, Monaco loses that one in five. Yep. Yeah, but most of the day was you know that that Tomich Verdasco just took out the the main core of the day. It wasn't as much a day for walking around. It was really crowded and there was a lot going on. But that was sort of the center. That was the center of attention. Last thing, uh, we'll just. Uh, one point to make about tomorrow's matches. Um, you know, everybody who didn't play today basically is in tomorrow. The Australian Open splits the draws right down the middle. Um, as to who plays on day one, day two, it's not like the U.S. Open or the French, really. Um, just give me your quick thoughts on Murray Harrison, which is probably the match of most interest, really, uh, you know, worldwide for a couple different reasons. Murray gets uh, with Lendl in his corner. It's uh, probably the most attractive first match, and it's on uh, high sense, not Laver, third up. Well, the, one, the interesting thing about that is Murray's come out and said in a press conference that he's going to try to get Ryan Harrison to lose his temper. That, you know, he's not just going <laughs> to try to beat him. He's not just going to win. It's not good that's enough. His, that's part of his strategy early in the match to get Harrison to lose his temper. I don't know what he's going to do. It sounds like, to me... That Murray's pretty confident in this match that he can just do what he does, which is he can slice, he can mix it up, he can run down balls, he can drive Harrison insane, and and that'll be it. Um, and I do think, I think that's I think this is a pretty good matchup for Murray because he can play he can play his um, defensive game. Harrison is probably not going to be consistent enough. He's going to have to really take it to Murray, and I think Murray is pretty confident in that matchup. I I, I like Murray in this matchup. Sounds uh, sounds like sort of a pot calling the kettle black issue with Murray talking about the temper there, but I'm looking know, forward to seeing what he does. Yeah, I mean it's uh, tricks up his bag just like the game. So we'll that's uh, that'll be a 
probably a midnightish match here in the U.S. and uh, you know early afternoon, early to mid afternoon out there. So uh, each day the podcast here will be recorded at the end of the day's play. Steve and I'll bat around uh, what's happened the day before, get your recap for the morning. So tune back in tomorrow for day two podcast. Steve Tigner, Ed McGrogan, Tennis.com. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.